Welcome. I hope you enjoy the conversation you're about to see between me and another comedian about religion and comedy. These are conversations I'm calling Disorganized Religion. God bless. And for those atheists out there, may nothing await you after this life. Sweet. Hey, welcome, nerds. Uh, you're, we're back with another edition of Disorganized Religion. I am your host, as always, Seth Lawrence. And this week, we are joined by the mighty and fantastic Paul Douglas Moomjean, who has a dry bar special coming out in July. Very exciting news. Yes. When did tell you actually... You what? Tell your mother? It, tell my mother how important that is. <laughs> so important. It is so important. Now, how much of a lag time was there between recording the dry bar special and now it's coming out in July? Three years. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's all going to be relevant material, though. You're, you're going to talk about the coronavirus. Right. right. Oh, no, it's all very... Well, see, here's the thing. All my material is pretty much about me in the past. So uh-huh. it'll be fine. The, here's the funny story about behind it basically what happened was i was like the sixth or seventh person to record the dry bar special like literally they hadn't even released more than like two or three of them at this point yeah and then they realized you know if we really want to do this thing big we got to go out and find the conservative christian you know clean comics and pay them real money so Mm. after they paid me like good money like the best money i ever got paid in comedy they basically went out, found all the church guys, paid them a boatload of money. Yeah. And they said, look, we can put Moomjean at the back end. Because <laughs> yeah. now what they don't realize is, is that some of the Christian comics they got weren't going to promote it because they weren't going to make extra money out of it. Oh, out of the promotion, you mean? Yeah. So like the irony is they're like, oh, we'll go get so-and-so. And then they, they, they emailed me and they were like, hey, so-and-so didn't promote the special. I said, well, were you going to pay them extra to promote it? They're like, no. I said, then why would they do that? Yeah. And yeah, they I mean, never just to get... them. Yeah. Whereas with me, I kept sending them emails saying, listen, I got five radio stations lined up. Right. Because I knew all the Christian conservative radio stations that would have taken me. Oh, gotcha. about it for 20 minutes. Yeah. And I, was, I, I dealt in educational marketing where I went to those different radio stations to talk about the school that I was working for. Yeah. And I said, I can just convert that. They all said, come back when the special comes out, we'll totally bring you on. Yeah. And th- I don't know the, 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 the driver people are very sweet. They're very nice, but they're new. And, and when you're learning, yeah, as you know, I mean, it's, it's kind of like, you know, dating, like you think to yourself, Oh, I'll go ask out this supermodel. Yeah. The supermodel doesn't need you. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know the how to. The supermodel's not going to put out. <laughs> right, right. But these, these conservative Christians aren't looking for put out, you know? They, they, uh... Well, the thing is, is that they get paid $5,000 to do a church. So right. if they promote their thing, the church is going to go, well, why can't we just tell our people to go watch you on Dry Bar? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, like, yeah. for instance, I just watched Jerry Seinfeld's new special on Netflix, and it's really funny. Yeah. And it's also all old material. Oh, well, stuff he's been working on for the last 20 years, right? 30 years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, since his opening joke, still hysterical, but it's the opening joke from the show Seinfeld in 1990. Oh, sure. It's yeah. about 
We're going out. We're out. You're out. I'm out. He's out. Yeah. That's the first joke from your sitcom. Yeah. Well, and it's also the most painful joke for all of us to hear right now. Well, yes. Ironically, his whole first 10 minutes about everyone's dream is to go out so they can go back in. Like, yeah. It's either going to hit really well or people are just going to start crying. Because <laughs> they're so depressed. Oh, so depressed. did you did you watch the most, the Louis C.K.? Did you watch the Louis C.K. special? No. And the only reason was I'm not giving him money. Oh, fair enough. You don't want to give him eight bucks? Like, here's the way I look at it. He basically, he ex- once again, he exploited the vulnerability of people. Like, <laughs> you're home alone. Yeah. <laughs> you have nothing to do. Yeah. Give me $8. But I mean, in his defense, not that, you know, anyone needs to defend him necessarily. Uh, right. Or that he deserves any defense, I guess, is really the way to put it. But I don't think he planned on coronavirus, unless you ascribe to the Bill Gates, Louis C.K. genre no, of conspiracy no, 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 theory. No, no, no. I'm not, listen, I'm not <laughs> blaming Louis C.K. for the coronavirus. Right. But what I decided was there's enough content in the world that I don't need his hour right now. Right. Well, and fair enough. I was, yeah, and fair enough. Eventually, eventually on YouTube, someone will take the material, yeah. they'll upload onto YouTube, and I'll be able to watch it that way. Sure. Yeah, yeah, sure. I hear it's great, though. I hear from a, from a comedic writing standpoint, I hear it's very, very good. I hear that he talks about his issues. I mean, you know, I'm sure. Yeah. Look, at the end of the day, it's, how do I put this? I just don't want to give him $8. Yeah, well, I don't want to give anybody $8 just to no, give them $8. True. Yeah. I would, I don't know. I would give certain comedians $8. Like, <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, if, yeah. like if, if the Seth Lawrence Hour came out and it was hey, available. <laughs> right. <laughs> Streaming from my website. Right. Oh, man. You know, you know what the thing is? Is that I, I, do, I do think it's interesting that Louis C.K. was able to figure out, like, look, I still have fans. There's people still go to my website. Yeah. I'm just going to sell this. If look at eight dollars, if he sells a thousand, he makes oh, yeah. eight thousand dollars. Yeah. And yeah. the man's probably worth over twenty five, thirty million dollars, if not more. Right. So he doesn't need the money, but I'm sure it's going to buy his kids a really nice Christmas pony. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he might need the money. I don't know. I don't know how many people he's had to pay off over the years for his uh, illicit oh, acts. Agencies. What's that? The agencies are the ones that do the payoffs. He does. Oh, it's not coming out of his pocket, you think? No, it's like with Weinstein. It was the Weinstein ins- company. Insurance, essentially. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Paul, for the viewers who don't know, you've been in the game for a long time. And now you're an illustrious professor at Flappers University. Uh, how long have you been, been doing stand-up? Like five, I've been in the game for five years. Five years. Gotcha. So what drew and you to stand-up? I, and so I, so I started doing stand-up in 2015, around this time. Uh-huh. Uh, and so it's like... Yeah, yeah, five years. And so around, like, literally summer of 2015. Mm. But I had been doing public speaking and doing comedy through that. I'd also had written for Nickelodeon for iCarly and Zoe 101. Oh, okay. So so I had a comedy writing background. I had a speaking comedy background. 
so when I started in 2015, yes, I mean, I was rough around the edges as a, as, a, as a comedian. But at the end of the day, I moved up pretty quickly. Within six months, they Flappers had me hosting for Tom Segura. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And, and, and here's the thing. People could say like, well, you know, because I did, I did bring a lot of people to my first couple of shows because I had all these people in my life. I was 33 years old. Sure. You know, I, I had teaching and coaching and students and all these people that were coming to see me. But at the end of the day, there's plenty of people that bring a lot of people. They don't give them Tom Segura. Right. So, so they, right. they trusted me completely. And out of four shows that weekend, three of them I did really well. And one of them I bombed on a level <laughs> unseen to man. Is that right? I, I lost my place. So keep in mind, I'm six months into comedy. So yeah. like, so I, com- I completely lost where I was. I decided to ramble on some horrible story. For literally two and a half minutes, no one laughed. People were really confused. Oh, no. And then I ended with like, and that's what she said. I mean, it was just- <laughs> and-, and this was opening or, you know, hosting for Tom Segura. Yes. This, yeah. This was 240 people in the main room. In the main room. Oh, that's excellent. No better place to bomb. The, um, it was the, um, it was the 8 p.m. Saturday show. It was the third show. Prime time, man. And I bombed on a level. No, <laughs> like, like I, I really been very lucky. Like my bombings are usually on shows where everyone bombed. Sure. Right, that's my general. Like I remember one time in Claremont, I did a show with Don Friesen and Jose Barajintos where no one got a laugh the entire night. Jeez. Okay, like, yeah. like, like no one. Like there was a point where the headliner, Don Friesen, just looked at the audience and said, you're not worth the rest of this bit. <laughs> he goes, stopping and I'm moving on to old material. Yeah. Because. I know that this works, and this is what his exact, exact words were. Uh, I know this is funny because I get paid to do this. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So, so to bomb six months in on a Saturday night 8 p.m. show was such a great lesson for me. Mm. And it, 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 it made me realize two things. One, don't be so committed to the script that one word off throws you off. Right. Right. The second thing is, is you will survive. Yeah. Yeah. So did anyone say right. anything to you from the management side, like, like Barb or, oh, uh, nobody came to see me. <laughs> look, they just let you, they let, look, let you go. As long as I told people to fill out the raffle cards and that the bathroom is to their right. Nobody cared what else I did that night. Oh, well then there you go. Yeah. I mean, they were there to see Tom anyway. Right. So. Right, right. This wasn't a showcase of like uh, Uncle Clyde's, right? Like, where you got to set the room up so everyone could be successful. Yeah. The, Tom, Tom, I could have read the phone book for yeah. eight minutes, and Tom Segura still would have killed as hard as he did. Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So, so yeah, no, no, that was uh, that. That's so yeah, no. So I've been in comedy for five years, and Flappers brought me on to start teaching classes in 2018 well technically 17 that i started 18 uh-huh. so for 18 and 19 i was teaching classes and then i at the end of 2019 i took over the uh, workshops and classes gotcha yeah from ken right because he was the yeah. the head honcho before 
Yeah, Ken did it for five years, and he went off to do corporate gigs. Man, oh, well, good for him. So that's what Ken's up to now, huh? Yeah, he's, he's, he has health insurance, which had he stuck around, we have health insurance now, too. So God, ah, you know. Joke's on him, huh? He left joke's for nothing. He could have kept doing what he was doing. Yeah. So what do you what do you like about teaching classes? And then if you want to get into what you dislike, we can go there. But I'm not going to force you to go there. What? No. And I, I, my students know. I, look, I <laughs> you tell them every day. I tell. Listen, I was a teacher and wrestling coach prior to this from 2003 to 2017. Yeah. Okay. So so the the relationship I have with my students is an open and honest one. Yeah. What I what I what I love about teaching comedy is that, listen, I can't make you funnier. What I can do is I can maximize your funny. Mm. Got and it. the yeah. biggest the biggest mistake that comedy schools have have done is when they tell their their oh we'll make you funny. I've seen actual ads that say we teach you how to be funny. Mm-hmm. You know what? A sense of humor is is more of an instinct than anything else. Sure. So here's what I can do. I can teach you how to maximize whatever amount of humor you have. Now, with that being said, if you learn how to maximize whatever's in you already, you will learn to re-maximize over and over and over and over again to the point where maybe you can get to a higher level of funny. Because hmm. it's like a muscle. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Like, like, like back in school, here's what happened. Some kid made a joke. No one laughed. He never made a joke ever again. Sure. But then there's this other kid, like me, and I made a joke and everyone laughed. And so I made another joke and everyone laughed. And I made another joke, no one laughed. But I was like, screw that. They laughed before. Let's keep doing this. Right. And then you learn what people respond to and what they don't. And by the time I was done with my sixth grade education, (laughs) I I was voted class clown of the sixth grade and voted most likely to be a sit-down comedian. Uh-huh. So everyone knew I was funny when I was yeah. in seventh grade. That's how I made friends. Yeah. You know, by the time I was in high school, everyone knew like, like I was known as two things. I was known as the, I'm a Christian. I was known as the guy who talked to God, like legitimately. Like everyone in my senior year was convinced if anyone's going to heaven, it was Paul. But okay. also, but also Paul's the funniest guy in our senior class. Everyone knew that. Yeah. Everyone knew I was funny, right? But here's the thing. I worked really hard at that. And 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 so when I became a stand-up comedian, it was like what Jerry Seinfeld said. First you gotta make your friends and family laugh. Mm-hmm. Then you gotta make strangers laugh. Then you gotta make strangers pay to laugh. Oh, sure. And and so and so because number one was so easy for me, number two became a possibility and now I'm at number three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, and you had some great shows at the uh, Flappers Yoohoo room when they let your headline fantastic shows yes i was very lucky over the years they gave me a lot of great spots they gave i was getting 10 minutes before i ever should have got 10 minutes yeah um, and and then and then i started again to headline at the ice house and then flappers uh, a year and a half ago gave me a uh, headlining spot in the who room like you know four three and a half four years into comedy yeah i mean that's crazy that's awesome and, right and and i did really well and it went really well but but as the teacher my, my job is to maximize what you already have. Sure. And, for, and here's the thing, too. Most of our students are not comedians. They're people who are interested in doing stand-up comedy, like myself. I started in a classroom. Uh-huh. I was a high school English teacher. I took a workshop for fun. Gotcha. 
And then someone said, oh, we also offer classes. And I was like, well, what's my other option? Your other option is to go to an 11 o'clock open mic. Yeah. And I said, I can't do that. I said, when's the class? They said 12 o'clock on a Sunday. I said, I can do that. Right. And so by doing that, I started to understand joke structure. I got mentorship. I was able to work with other people who were in the same boat as me, which was, I can't go to 11 o'clock mics. Yeah. So what was happening was I was going once a week to class. Then I did a showcase. Then I made it my goal to go to the five o'clock mics and the six o'clock mics. Yeah. And I literally would leave the classroom with the tie on and the slacks and yeah. the whole thing. And I would leave the classroom and I'd drive down to Flappers. I'd drive to the ice house and I'd do my open mic sets and I'd go home. Yeah. But I, but I couldn't be out at 11. And so right. a lot of our students are people who can't be out at 11 o'clock at night. Right. So when you made the transition from sort of the classroom to the audition open mics, what changes in demographic did you see? And what changes in ability did you see? Wait, wait, what do you mean? The, um... I mean, you were talking about how people in classes are those who cannot go to the late night open mics. Oh. So, uh, you know, there's a certain, from what I've noticed going to open mics, there seems to be a certain demographic of people that go to certain open mics at different times. So there's, I'm curious there's... now about the class, because I've never done the class route. Right. One massive difference. Classroom, not cynical. And yeah, very supportive. Very supportive. Everybody's everybody's friend. Yeah. Open mics. It's you're talking. I'm in my notebook. I'm on my phone. I'm with my little group. Screw you. Yeah. yeah. That's all. And, That's and, the only and difference. But here's the thing. To be a really good comic, you have to learn to overcome the open mic room. Yeah. which sometimes is not supportive because sometimes the audience isn't supportive. Right. So, so level one, we don't even encourage them to go to open mics until the last week before their showcase. And then level two, it becomes a requirement. Yeah. Gotcha. Right. So level two is a go to an open mic. And when you come back, I want to hear about how your teeth got punched in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Especially if you mentioned you're in a class, right? In fact, in fact, had we not had the pandemic, I had a level three class where the objective was to, I was going to work with other bookers that have really rough bar shows and get every one of those students under yeah. the bar show. Oh, gotcha. Right. Yeah, bar so, shows are rough, man. Yeah. I was going to, uh, uh, have you ever done Petey's place with Ryan Talmo? I have done Petey's place, but not with Ryan Talmo. But, but you know, the atmosphere, it's, it's oh, yeah. not in the room. No, no. And, and so I was, yeah. I, I was talking to a couple of comics and they said, why don't you send your more advanced students, the ones who really love comedy to these rooms where they learn to really try to be in the moment 100%. Right. Like, like, like you're fighting to get the attention. Like, can you be more interesting than the beer that they're drinking? Yeah. Yeah. Or the girl they're trying to pick up on. Right. Right. So, so that was the objective. And then the pandemic hit. Now we're back to zoom, but yeah. Yeah, well, you, the, I mean, the pandemic, it turns out, has saved a lot of souls. Yes. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure that a lot of people would have quit comedy. Well, here's the thing. I think people are quitting comedy right now. And they don't realize it yet. Oh, oh, because they're not doing the virtual shows. They're not doing virtual shows. And here's what's going to happen. The clubs will open up, and they can have, like, a limited number of people. Right. And they're going to be like, this isn't fun. 
and then they're just going to be like, I'm just going to go make sketches or I'm going to go write a script or I'm going to have a podcast, which is fine because comedy yeah. can be in different forms. Right, right. But I totally see it as we're going to have a lot of people who just come out of this and they're going to be like, eh, I'm not doing this anymore. It's changed. It's done. Yeah, I mean, part of me is sort of like that would be great. That would be great if there were less that wanted to do the actual stand up on a stage part. But I also think there are going to be a lot of people who are going to be unemployed and, you know, be like, hey, I've always wanted to try this. Why not take this as a soft reset? I, I feel like if there was a comedy Martin Luther King, I have a dream speech. It'd yeah. be like, I have a dream that one day I can go to potluck and there's only 50 people who sign up. For real, though. Oh, my gosh. Right. Man. Could you imagine? Could you imagine having like a two fifths chance? <laughs> yeah, every week getting on instead of a two in 100 chance. Yeah. Yeah. I'll never, no, forget, I mean, I'll, I'll never forget reading I'm Dying Up Here. And they talked about how 47 comics signed up every week. Yeah. For potluck. 47. Yeah, I know. I know. Well, I've talked to some people on this podcast who had similar memories. It might not have been that few, but, you know, 60. It's a lot different than the, like, 300 that sign up now. Right, right. When when I was going about once a month, it was about 150 to 200 comics. Yeah. But keep in mind, too, a lot of them were also signing up for uh, Kill Tony. Yeah. So, so, you know, they were going for both, and they figured they could up on one or the other and yeah 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 but you know it's not, it, it, yes and it, that still happens because they were still doing kill tony you know up until pandemic every monday night along with potluck so yeah crazy yeah i don't know i hope i hope the numbers go down just for my own selfish sake but you know part of it is sad that there are going to be some people who probably can't do it anymore not because they don't want to but financially it's not going to be viable Oh, I already know comics who've moved out of the state. Yeah, which is really sad because I think there are some that I know of who've left and I hope they're able to come back, but maybe not, you know? And you know what? Okay, so so about uh, 2017, I was this close to moving to Ohio. Mm-hmm. I was offered a teaching job and it was going to happen. And basically the deal with the principal, and he agreed I could do it, was that I could be a regional comedian. Oh, so, wow. Right. So because here's the thing, if you think about like Jeff Foxworthy, um, Jim Gaffigan, uh, uh, Lewis Black, they were regional comics first. Mm-hmm. Right. So the idea was I can have Ohio, I can have Michigan, I can have all these different states around me, West Virginia, Kentucky. I can go there. Yeah. I can headline all of those clubs within like two years. Mm-hmm. And because I have TV credits, I've been on Life on Fox. I got the Vid Angel. I mean, I could legitimately be featuring within weeks of moving there. And then yeah. from there I would be right. Because they're not going to have me host. I, I, I know how decent, I know I'm a decent comic. Okay. Sure. Yeah. I've had, I've had that. I've had every head. Listen, I've had every head writer of this night show of the last 20 years. Tell me you're really funny. Yeah. And I'll totally do a show with you and they get me paid work. Yeah. So I I'm okay. Okay, like I know I'm a, <laughs> yeah. I know I'm a decent comic. No, you okay? are a talented <laughs> comedian. Yes. Yes. I'm not bragging there. No. What I can tell you is is that if I was living in Ohio and Michigan and Kentucky and West Virginia, I probably would be featuring very quickly, which means I'd be headlining a couple years later and then I'd be making like, you know, a good $45,000, $50,000 a year and just doing those gigs. Right. And then I would be doing corporate gigs cuz I'm pretty clean. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so that was a real, so, so here's the thing that I'm saying, all those comics that are moving back home, if they're smart, they're not sad that they don't get to do the comedy store for free. Right. They should be thinking like, I have real chops now. I should be looking at doing like legitimate feature work and yeah. getting paid 600 bucks for the weekend. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. It'll take a little legwork getting in the door, but once they're in. Yeah, once they go to the first open mic and everyone's laughing, because remember, an LA open mic is just comics. A Nebraska open mic is 40 people from Nebraska. Right, right. Who are there just to see what's going on at the comedy club. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, bookers, bookers watch those open mics and then create guest spots and opening act opportunities. It's not like LA where you could do like open mics for four years and never once have anyone say, you, we're putting you with the pictures. <laughs> yeah, which is what I think everyone sort of thinks when they move to LA to do the open mic comedy scene. Yes. Crazy. Everybody so, thinks that their ending is going to be the La La Land ending. Yeah, yeah. Did you we're like La La Land? I hated every second of that movie. Did you really? <laughs> but here's what's funny about that. Yeah. The director, I love Whiplash more than I love my own mother. Such a good, yeah, right, right. Such a good film. Yeah. In Whiplash, he, he, he produces an authentic ending, whereas in La La Land, it's an inauthentic ending. The idea that, like, we're all going to make it. We're not. Yeah, well, and part of it, I don't know, it's been a while since I've seen it, but I remember having the thought, is he ending this ironically? Sort of sarcastically? Right. Like, this is what everyone thinks, but do you really think as a viewer that this is realistic? But well, I don't know. I it's think been a while if, since I've if, seen if, it. If I, lived in, if I lived in the Midwest and I thought to myself, oh, all I have to do is just abandon true love and then I'll be successful, that makes sense. Yeah. Because that's really the point of the end of the movie, which as long as they didn't end up together, they were going to be successful. Mm. But they just weren't going to have true love. So right. I understand what a little bit of his point is. I just felt that the whole movie was pretentious to begin with. Yeah, and fair enough. Well, and maybe it's, uh, I don't know if you ever read the, the novel, The Rise of, was it Silas Lapham? Something like that. Did you ever read this no. book? Anyhow, sort of an ironic or, uh, yeah, title because the guy, the main character rises in wealth and then loses all of his wealth. And... Uh, or, or as he rises in wealth, he sort of, his his personal life is destroyed, and uh, vice versa, right? So as he loses his wealth, his his sort of real life comes back. You know, his family loves it. And anyway, I think it's uh, the movie "The Devil Wears Prada," where uh, Stanley Tucci's character says, um, "When your whole life falls apart, you know you're ready for a promotion." Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. Or something like that. Like yeah, that's yeah. so true in LA and New York. <laughs> yeah. Once well, your whole I, social life is completely destroyed, yeah. you're ready to be like really successful. Yeah. Well, and maybe what he, what he was saying was this, this does, it shouldn't be this way. This is a bad way for this. Do you know who Kevin O'Leary is from Shark Tank, Mr. Wonderful? Yeah. I mean, that name sounds, sounds familiar. So, so he's, he's a huge Canadian businessman, entrepreneur, venture capitalist. He's yeah. interviewed, says, listen, if you want balance in your life, go make $100,000 a year. Right. If you want to be successful, come with me for five years. You don't sleep, but you'll make so much money that you'll never have to work again. Mm-hmm. And so imagine, like, let's say I'm 30, which I am, I'm 38. Let's say in five years at, at 42, 44, 43 years old, 
I work for Kevin O'Leary and I just don't do anything. At 44, 45 years old, now I can go do whatever I want. Right. Right. But I have to be willing to have four or five years of my life where there's no pursuit of romance. There's no pursuit of family. There's no pursuit of the personal goals or dreams. You're yeah. simply a hack for the corporate whatever. Sure. But then, but then you can go do whatever you want because you're going to make $8 million, $10 million. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And I think on some level, La La Land kind of pitches that idea that like if you're willing to give up true love, you can be actually really successful in this hmm. industry because – because two art artists together don't make it. In fact, if you just look at the history of Hollywood romances, that's so true. Yeah, right. I mean, very few of these actors who marry each other stay together forever, you know? Right. George, George Clooney had to marry like a diplomat. Yeah, yeah. And it's probably... a political professor right. person. Yeah. Yeah, it's for the best. Yeah. Uh, so in that vein, do you think it takes misery to be funny? Do you think no. it takes mental illness to be a good, like a really good stand-up comic? No, I think what you actually have is you have a lot of people with misery and mental illness who just happen to be in stand-up comedy. Mm. Yeah. Um, look, I've, I've come from many walks of life, okay? Um, introverted social outcasts also were really good at school, but so was the head cheerleader. Mm. Okay, so... So just because somebody has something, what, look, the, a lot of people get into stand-up comedy because no one's listening to them. Oh, sure. And so now someone says, you get a microphone for five yeah. to ten minutes. Yeah. And so, yes. Now, here's the thing, though. You, uniqueness is different from just being depressed. Right. So a unique life, a, a life in which, like, for instance, your father and you never got along, your wife cheated on you, your kids hate you. There's a uniqueness that, that is in conflict with the status quo that produces the ability to do the type of material that is unique and interesting. Mm -hmm. At the same time, there is nothing unique or interesting about Jim Gaffigan, and he's doing very well. There is nothing unique or interesting about Jerry Seinfeld, Jeff Foxworthy, mm. uh, none of these people, and they're doing very well. In fact, yeah. Amy Schumer is about as basic as it gets. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? I mean, Eliza, all of them, Taylor Tomlinson, these are not right. completely depressed, miserable people. No. These are people that have interesting conflict in their life, and they're able to address that vulnerability. Mm. But just because I'm mentally ill, Look, if, if, if mental illness made you a great comedian, let's go. Let's just go to the mental illness uh, yeah, hospital. Yeah, institutes. Yeah. Yes. Scour. Find five guys, tell them, hey, Netflix right. wants you to just talk about things. Scour the homeless, right? Right. Yeah. Um, now, at the same time, there's sacrifice. There's other elements that are extremely important to art artists. Mm -hmm. Right? Um, and so, yes, there is. there are certain things. Now, here's the thing that chicken and the egg a little bit um if my goal is fame and i don't get it i might become depressed sure and so my depression will then fuel other elements of my comedy hmm. and so it becomes what came first the depression or the desire for comedy oh i see what you're saying 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a lot and of, so, yeah, right. Assuming that every comedian wants to be famous, which is a pretty they, fair assumption. I would say 90% do. You know who doesn't yeah. want to be famous? My students. <laughs> they just want to, so yeah, why are, why are most of your students doing your class? Is it just the to understand? Same, the same reason that people sign up to join MMA gyms all over the country. The same reason that people take art classes with wine. Uh-huh. The same reason they they just are said, hey, I can do this without having to get no mentorship. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Right. So so it's 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 an environment that allows them to do a bucket list. Mm-hmm. In fact, okay. So here's what's funny. Right now, with the uh, pandemic, we had a one hundred percent one hundred percent retention rate amongst our level one into level two. Uh huh. That has never happened. The reason for it is, is because a lot of them, this was the only time in their day or during their week in which they got to talk to someone else. Right. Yeah. And so, so a lot of this stems from, I just want to be part of a community. I want to do something. And they, they're just, and that's why they sign up. Yeah. Whereas a lot of times with stand up comedians, the, the goal is fame. Well, mm-hmm. here's the thing that I always tell the students. I can't control how famous you'll be. You know who can? Comedy Central and NBC. Right. Because if NBC sees Seth Lawrence and they go, you know what we need? We need a, a Mormon. Yeah. We need a dad. Yeah. Okay. This yeah. is what we need. This is what we're going to push. And they're going to push you on the American people until you have a million followers. Right. Now you may only be able to sustain that for two, three years. Yeah. But you're gonna make you're gonna make it for those two, three years. Yeah, yeah. And then depending and so, uh, you can ride it for for forever. Whereas whereas a lot of my students, all they really want is to get on stage one time. They want the tape. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so you so get a lot I, of actors or these older people too, or is it a mix of both? Oh, we get everything. We get we get uh, we get actors. Uh-huh. We get um, we get accountants. We get uh, doctors and lawyers. Mm-hmm. Uh, teachers. I was a teacher when I started. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I would, I would say a- the two most common professions I've heard and and seen just anecdotally, teachers and lawyers. Yes. We would get more youth pastors, but they'd be fired. <laughs> yeah, and they already sort of think they're doing it, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. every youth pastor is just a guy who wishes he could have done stand-up comedy. Yeah, 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 but too religious. So so listen, most of my students know their, their objective is not to be famous. Now, here's what's interesting. The ones whose objective is to become famous – Mm-hmm. When they realize how much hard work it is to become a stand-up comedian, they quit. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I, I, I went from student – here's what's funny with me. I started in 2015. I then – that was August I started. Mm-hmm. Okay? By November of 2015 – the school I was working at because I posted a YouTube of one of my comedy sets mm. that got like 700 hits, oh, which hey. is off now, which is off now, but, but, yeah. but got 700 hits, uh, they basically told me resign or we're going to fire you. Oh, why is that? Because 
you know, you can't be a stand-up comedian and work at a Christian school. Oh, the school you were working for. Right. I thought you were talking about the class you were in. No, like, no, no, hey. no, no, no. So the, the high school I was teaching at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, gotcha. So, so you have to understand, a lot of, a lot of my students, they, they don't even want to use their actual name. They can't even promote the show. They're terrified their boss will see the act and they'll say something. And I'm, I'm a very clean comedian. I yeah. don't have to worry. But yeah. but yeah, I mean, you know, people are talking about like, oh, my wife and I haven't had sex in two years. And they just are afraid their bosses are going to be upset with that, right? So, yeah. so they keep it low key. But, yeah. but, but here's what I decided. I said, oh, wait, I have to choose between my career or this thing I've been doing for like four months. I'm going to pick the thing that I've been doing for four months. Mm. So when I picked comedy and resigned from my job in February of 2016. Yeah. When I resigned and told them, go find someone better than me, I double dog dare you. And they didn't. Yeah. In fact, in fact, the department chair the next year quit after a year. And the person that they hired to replace me told them that she'd only be part time after a year. You know, I mean, a lot of stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I what I realized was, is I'm a comedian now. I'm, I'm yeah. actually legitimately sacrificing health care and a really good salary. Right. Right. So what drew, what, what caused you to do that? What pushed you to do that? Uh, two things. One, the, the, the fact that someone actually said that I can't do it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I totally but, get that. But the other thing too is I've always been a great admirer and lover of standup. Uh -huh. um, growing up, I used to collect all of the Robin Williams, George Carlin, Richard Pryor cassette tapes, listen to them in my Walkman. Mm -hmm. I could, I, I mean, you know, I, I actually memorized all of Bill Cosby himself. Yeah. I, I loved comedy. I loved comedy. And I, I, I look back and I go, so, so here's another thing too. In, in 1999, when I graduated high school, I had a choice. I was, I was thinking about debating about becoming a stand-up comedian. I really uh -huh. was. I was thinking, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be 18. I'm going to go do this. Yeah. Instead, I decided to coach wrestling. And coaching wrestling took all my time. It's, you know, practices went till seven, tournaments right. were every weekend. So I can't do comedy. So when I quit coaching in 2015, that's when I decided I'm going to go try stand-up comedy. Mm. So gotcha. it, took 16, it took 16 years. Yeah. But when I did it, I was like, this is something I, I really wish I would have done a long time ago. Yeah. So how did you get into the writing side of it? Because you wrote for Nickelodeon before this. Right. So I was a film major in college before I switched to English. Oh, okay. In, in 2006, I was, oh, in 2006, I was supposed to get hired by a public school. And then the, the budget cuts started to happen and they couldn't hire me and I was jobless. Yeah. And my uncle worked at Nickelodeon. He was like, you want to be a production assistant? I can get you a job there. And I'm like, oh my God, yes, I yes. I mean, I yeah. loved movies. And so I, I worked at Nickelodeon. And so Nickelodeon, I got hired in August of 2006. By October of 2006, I was hired as the executive producer's personal assistant. Hmm. And then he put me in the wow. writer's room like two months later. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So I, I got I got the job for two two reasons. One, it's very funny. The first reason was I'm sitting in the production office as a, as a PA who helped put out the food, right? Uh -huh. And someone yelled out, they said, hey, Dan, 
Dan Schneider, who I worked with, who was the executive producer, they said, Dan needs someone to pick him up and drive him to work because he's just exhausted driving back and forth. To which I said, I'll do it. They said, where do you live? I said, I don't care. Just tell me what time I got to Yeah, up. what do you care? <laughs> I'm going to be driving. By the way, there were four other production assistants. They all said no. Wow. So, because, because, so what is the setting of you? You are serving food yeah. in this meeting, and they, this person leading the meeting just, just throws this question out there. And well, actually, actually, we were all just in the office. So part of my job was helping set up all the food stuff and setting up the tents and putting things yeah. up. We're all just sitting up in the production office, and Jonna, who is one of the best uh, um, uh, producers in, in, in Nickelodeon, and, but now in like Disney and stuff like that, uh, yeah. Jonna said, who wants to drive Dan? And nobody wanted to do it. No one. I said, I'll do it. Yeah. I wow. can be in the car with the executive producer. Yeah. So what happened was, is in October, he fired his onset assistant. Uh-huh. promoted. So we're wow. driving back and forth. Yeah. And we just, we, you know, we became besties within seconds. Yeah. So he That's... hires me to do that. Yeah. And then in January, he puts me in the writer's room. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Right. So, so now I'm sitting there, and I'm I'm literally in January and February of 2007. It's just me and him in a room, and we're writing the pilot to iCarly. Oh my gosh! And so he's like, and so I'm doing I'm doing the rewrites with him. Yeah. So where did the like, idea for iCarly come from? Was it his? Was so it his daughter? His niece? No. He, no. Here's what happened. Nickelodeon needed a Hannah Montana show. Okay. Yeah. Right? So Zoe 101 is the number one show at Nickelodeon at the time. It's girl power, you know, beat the right. boys, the whole thing. We're working on that. Right. So they said, can you come up with something? So he says, sure. And so he comes up with a show that's more or less kind of like Hannah Montana. Girl Overnight becomes famous being a rock star. Yeah. Right? She posts something on the internet. And they're like, well, we can't do that. We have to do something <laughs> like Hannah Montana, not actually <laughs> Hannah Montana. Uh-huh. So Steve Malaro, who happens to eventually become the head writer for Big Bang Theory, uh-huh. years later, Steve Malaro's in the room. He's good friends with Dan. Him and Steve Holland, who's the other executive producer of eventually Big Bang Theory. So I worked with the best writers in Hollywood. Okay, yeah. No one's worked with better writers in Hollywood than me. I'm, I'm the luckiest guy in the world. So we're all sitting in a room, and Steve Holland said, "No, I'm sorry." Uh, Steve Malaro says. Well, why don't we call it iCarly? You know, like iPhone? We'll call it iCarly. Yeah. And, and Dan goes, great. We have a name for it. He goes, well, what should be the thing? And I had suggested at the time that she had some newsletter at the school, which wasn't that cool. But at the time, newsletters were kind of a thing in 2006, 2007. Right. Like, you know, the internet was kind of a whatever it was. And then Steve Malaro goes, well, let's just make it a webcam show. Like, yeah. what if she accidentally on YouTube exploded overnight? Mm-hmm. And that's and so they pitched it to, to Nickelodeon. The Nickelodeon executives loved it. Dan and I sat in a room and wrote the damn thing. Yeah. And here's Jeez. so here's here, here's my favorite story. So we're writing it, and Dan's like, "Okay, listen, Paul, we need something that's like kind of weird for them to do on the first show for the pilot. Like, like something you know." Is there? I said, "What if?" Okay, now hear me out, Dan. What if? They see a goat and, and Sam, the character Sam goes, oh my God, can you believe the goat just did that? And then they walk the goat off stage. Uh-huh. Now I had just seen Clerks 2. <laughs> okay. So it was kind of my 
joke about the donkey shows, uh-huh. but with a goat. Yeah. Oh so my the gosh. idea is the goat this perfectly innocent horrible. child yes. show. And I pitched the idea that the goat has obviously done some horrifically sexual things, right? <laughs> it gets better. Dan and I had reached a relationship in which the executive producers knew that if I came to Dan and said, hey, Dan, you know, we probably shouldn't do this because it's going to cost too much money. Dan went, you're right, Paul. Wow. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So the production manager comes to me and goes, Paul, listen, you have to tell Dan not to do the goat thing. The goat's going to cost $20,000. Oh, my gosh. What? Yeah, because you have to get a handler. I mean, goats are exotic animals. So, uh, yeah. So All right. I, go, I mean, they do yoga, but okay. I go, I go, well, I go, the problem with that one is, is that I, I, I came up with the goat idea. <laughs> I like the idea. <laughs> I invented idea. the goat. And, <laughs> I can't so go the, back and be like, no, the goat's not a no, good so idea. The, so the unit production manager goes, I hate you, Paul, and I will get you fired. And I was like laughing and, uh, well, of course, when the writer's strike happened, I was the first one to get fired. Oh, no. It's like, it like, Paul is gone. We're good. So, that, that's so there's two times where i completely destroyed the budget on iCarly yeah oh no, no i'm sorry there's two times no i'm sorry one time on iCarly one time on zoe 101 so zoe 101 filmed in valencia which is where magic mountain is yeah so we're driving i'm driving dan one day and i go dan let's do an episode of zoe 101 at the, at the amusement park let's right. have Let's have a character be afraid of uh, roller coasters, and they has to get over the fear. Dan goes, "How expensive could that be?" That's brilliant. <laughs> Seven days later, Robin comes up to me, Paul. You have to convince Dan. Paul, it's going to cost a million dollars, and everyone has to go to work at three o'clock in the morning for us to film at the amusement park. Convince Dan it's a stupid idea. I go, "Well, that was sort of my, my idea." My <laughs> she goes, "You and your damn goat and your." Damn amusement parks! It just walked away. Wow! So it was it was really the the nail in the coffin was the amusement park. Yes, yeah. The the, the goaded by itself was you know like maybe, <laughs> but the amusement park. Oh, Seth! Wow. Sitting on the set every yeah. day and having all of the the head of uh, uh, um, uh, the the what what is the cinematographer director of photography, uh, the head of gripping everybody. They came to me like Paul. Why the hell are we having to go to Magic Mountain at three o'clock in the morning? Why do we know. have? <laughs> and I'm like, well, you know, one day we were driving by, and Dan just thought it would be a great idea. No one knew. No oh, one knew. Oh man, that is so I, funny. I remember there was this one girl I had such a huge crush on. It was one of the camera operators, mm-hmm. and she comes up to me and she's like, "Paul, I can't believe this is happening. Is there anything you could do?" And I was like. No, <laughs> there's nothing. <laughs> we we are all going to be at Magic Mountain at 3 o'clock in the morning. No, it gets worse, though. Dan tells me, he goes, Paul, I don't need you there at 3 o'clock in the morning. I'm not even going to be there at 3 o'clock in the morning. We're going to send the head writer to do it instead. Oh, so just no. Pick me up at- but we didn't even go to Magic. So me and Dan didn't even go to Magic no, Mountain. No, you just forced everybody else to go. Um, Everyone else had to go. They had to spend $80,000 at 3 o'clock in the morning to film the scene. Oh, they had to clamp the camera onto the roller coaster. Yeah. Nobody knew what they were doing. It was hysterical. Oh, jeez. That's amazing. So well, now, so that's now my I have background. to go watch these shows. You what? So that's my background, was working in, in yeah. with 
with some of the, I mean, I'm not, I'm not lying here. Okay, so listen, my writing staff, Steve Malaro, head writer, a Comic-Con legend. Yeah. Big Bang Theory. Steve Holland uh, wrote for Matt, Matt, major sitcoms, major, Jeff Bouchelle wrote the Beverly Hills Chihuahua film for Disney. Oh, God, yeah. Okay, like, with, like, all of its five sequels. Yeah. I, mean, I worked, Jeez. I worked with every, Andrew Hill Newman was best friends with uh, Matthew Perry back in the day. Mm-hmm. So I worked with every um, like great young writer who would go on to become yeah. 10 times bigger. Those were my coworkers. Jeez, that's crazy. That's Those crazy. are the people that I, I, I ate lunch with. And they would, you know, sometimes they'd come to me and they'd be like, hey, we're getting snacks for the writer's room. What do you want? Because I was like, I was a writer, but I wasn't like a writer, writer, writer. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Like, I you know, and, and I wasn't in the guild yet or stuff. And, and they would they would sneak snacks in. And yeah. the joke was, you know, somebody would be like, oh, yeah, we love peanut butter pretzels. They were like, since when? Since when? <laughs> they're like, I don't know. Paul says they're delicious. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So that's your comedy background. Illustrious, fantastic. What, what kind of religious background do you have? You've mentioned that you taught at a Catholic school. And that you are evangelical. oh Christian evangelical. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Okay. So my I was raised Pentecostal. Uh huh. For those who don't know what that means, that means the Holy Spirit filled us completely, and we spoke in tongues. Yeah. So were you a holy roller? Well, growing up as a kid, I mean, you know, every you know, no, no, no child for the most part knows what a charismatic Christian is. Uh huh. You just went to church. Yeah. You know, sure. You went to you you went to you went to Sunday school and. My dad taught the morning classes before the main service. Okay. And then we kind of went to a more conservative church later when my parents got divorced. My mom took us to Simi Valley. And then we started going to a little bit more of like a mega church vibe. Okay. Um, And so, you know, very basic evangelical. Yeah. Um, So, well, when you say conservative, what was the shift? I mean, if you remember, like religiously, what's the shift from you know, the evangelical you, you went to as a kid to this more, you know, conservative. So, so I didn't realize the shift until later in life. Uh-huh. What, I, what, I, what I can tell you is, is that just nobody spoke in tongues at the, at the second church. church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So, yeah. so there would be, it was more, it was a little bit more like, does anyone have the word from the Lord? And somebody would go, Allah shukabukabukabaka. And then, uh-huh. then somebody would interpret, and then we'd all agree that God loved us. Gotcha. That was church but one. That was church one. Yeah. And then, and then church two was more like, hey, everybody, let's just sing popular worship music. Yeah. Do an offering, right. have a sermon, do another offering, and go home. Yeah. Some people might get healed along the way. Well, there was no public healings after the first church. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, no, no. The first, the first church, people were going up. They were in wheelchairs, and we were praying for their healing. Like it wasn't yeah. like Benny. It wasn't like Benny Hinn, where like literally people were walking out of the the the, the wheelchair. Right. But I was raised in a Pentecostal, Holy Spirit filled church. Then we went to a more conservative church, and then we went to what's called Reformed theology, uh-huh. which means we no longer believed that the Holy Spirit was active in the ways of the Pentecostal. Got it. Right. So I was raised in that. Now, keep in mind, though, you know, as a kid, I was still raised within a idea and I watched people 
believing they were healed. Yeah. You know, believing that, that God was working in mysterious ways. And so that always impacted me. I always would, would raise my hand as an adult at the more conservative churches. Uh-huh. And I would say, like, well, gee, but don't we believe that Jesus could do that? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and, and of course, they were like, well, no, because we don't believe that. And I'd be like, well, is God restricted to our belief in what he does? Yeah. So, so I yeah. was a little bit of the rebel. Yeah. And so I never really fit into a conservative. And listen, I tried to help run Bible studies, youth groups, yeah. uh, children's ministries. I did everything I could to be involved. And from two, from nine, from 2007 until 2016, I tried really hard to fit in to uh, conservative Christianity and it just didn't click. Interesting. So, so what for you was conservative Christianity? What were some of these ideals? Like like God doesn't really perform miracles anymore or. Right. Right. The idea is, is that, well, okay. It's kind of like the COVID response. Stay home unless you have to go out. (laughs) Okay. So, so conservative Christianity is God can heal you unless he does it. Uh, yeah, I see what you're saying. You probably won't unless he really needs to. Right. God's will, God's will is, is this bipolar experience in which for whatever reason, God could have healed me, but chosen not to, but I won't know until I get to heaven and I just have to be accepting of it. Right. So, so, so on some level, I guess I understand that conceptual idea, right? It's, but yeah. but I was part of a of a very conservative group of Christianity. Basically, it was it was wrong to be gay. It was wrong to do this. Everything was wrong. Um, uh-huh. Basically, you know, I've always said, uh, you know, it's always funny when I meet a Christian who has sex out of marriage because everyone who's not a Christian knows you're not supposed to have sex out of marriage if you're a Christian. Right. The only person who doesn't know that is the new Christian. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like yeah. whenever I meet some some person who's like. Well, how's your walk with God? I'm always like, I don't know. Are you living with your boyfriend still? And they're like, Yes, I am. I go, Well, then don't judge me. Yeah. Okay. Because I can right. point to a co- I can point to a couple of Bible verses that tell you you're not supposed to do that. So let's just not play the blame game right now. Yeah. 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 So wait, right? I haven't heard this like walk with God. Is this a derogatory phrase or is this just how's your life going? General phrase. For what? Well, you said, you know, you will get approached by someone who'll be like, how's your walk with God going, Paul? I have not attended church service since 2017. Uh Uh-huh. So for three years, and I will say this, I've been much better off psychologically because here's something that most people don't understand. Most people leave the church by a certain age. Right. Okay? Most people have decided I'm not going to be an active member of my church, usually around 30 to 31 years old. Unless they get married, unless they've been married. Yeah. Church for a married person is an amazing uh, social construct. Sure. Right? Church for a married person is a networking group of epic proportions. Yeah. Church for a single person over 30 is like being a leper <laughs> and there's no leper island to even send you to. Yeah, that's not... That's not just, I thought that was only exclusive to the Mormonism side of Christianity. That's everywhere. 
That is that is massive. So here's what happens and within not so much within Catholic, not so much within Catholicism because Catholicism is more cultural for most Christians right. and Catholicism than actually spiritual. Right. So evangelical Protestant Christianity, if you're not married by 3132, they don't know what to do with you anymore, right? Yeah. You can't be a part of the, the, the young adult ministries. You can't be a part of the college ministries. Right. They don't know what to do. And then you show up to Sunday and you're by yourself and then nobody yeah. wants to stay. Or they're like, Unless well, you can go with the married Sunday school and feel very alone. Right. If I joined, well, and this is what happened. So, so here's a funny story. So I joined a Bible study at the last church I was part of before I left organized church, mm-hmm. not religion, not Christianity, right. but just organized church. They begged me to teach the, to be the co-teacher for the Bible study. Mm-hmm. And not just that, they had me read every week the passage because I was just an excellent reader yeah. and I brought a lot of life in it. Right. So sure. the head pastor that who's two years older than me yeah. was appalled. He goes, we can't have Paul doing that. Paul's not married. Oh, boy. Well, when was the last time a man needed a woman for anything, you know? Well, here's my argument. (laughs) Yeah. Here's my argument. According to this logic, Jesus and the Apostle Paul would not be allowed to lead a Bible study at the old church I was a part of. I mean, first of all, how dare you suggest that Jesus wasn't married? But go on. You're right. You're right. You're right. the, The Gnostics... The Gnostics make a good point. Yeah. What do you uh, think that marriage at Cana was all about, Paul? Yeah, somebody else. He, he provided the wine, not the ring. Well, I mean, his mom was the one being bothered. Yes, the, the, the mother came and – well, no, what happened was is the mom said, hey, uh, uh, you know, they, they, they ran out of wine. You need yeah. to fix this, to which he replied, my time hasn't come yet, woman. <laughs> but, but I mean, it was his mother, man. though. <laughs> well, it was probably a family wedding then. It was probably a family wedding. It was probably Perhaps. not Jesus's. First Perhaps. off, the idea that G- Joseph would have then she would have gone to Joseph. It was if it was his wedding. Yeah, she would have gone. Joseph, you're the man of the house. Go get the wine. Yeah, but Joseph, I mean, he's just some dude, you know. Actually, Joseph probably was dead at that point. Ah, uh, yeah. Right, because you don't hear about him after the whole story. Yeah, I don't know what happens to to poor old Joe. Well, more than likely, more than likely, historically speaking, Joseph was probably much older than Mary. Right. uh, Probably died sometime between Jesus and the temple, uh, telling all the people in the temple what's really going on with with faith and God, and then the wedding ended. Yeah, interesting. So, so, so so again, they would not have gone to Joseph because he was dead. No. That's true. Joseph was probably dead. Yeah. But I actually taught at a Bible college that adored me, uh, attorney Bible college in Simi Valley. It was started by Francis Chan. Um, I, I actually left Cornerstone Church because I just had problems with some of the republicanism that was happening. Oh, yeah. And let me say this. I say that as a person who at the time was a registered Republican. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because well. it, was a, it, was, it was a problem where I was like, I'm sorry, but you're applying certain things that like, politically maybe i could like go like oh i I like lower taxes yeah but the idea that you god likes lower taxes well jesus paid his taxes technically he had a fish mouth pay him but that's not the point (laughs) render unto caesar was a caesar's right yes give unto caesar what is caesar's give unto your heavenly father what is his but what i can say is that when i started watching there was a sermon that at the church that they said if you're in your 30s and you're living at home with your parents you're a loser uh-huh. 
And I said, I went to them and I said, I'm sorry, but actually I'm paying off my student loan debts. Yeah. Because the, because I said, because the Bible college I work at, which is associated with you, doesn't pay me enough to live on my own and do the, the same thing. Yeah. And they were like, oh, we never thought of it that way. So <laughs> the biggest problem that I have with the evangelical yeah. church is this weird psychological burden they put on people where they say you're supposed to be making $100,000 a year to pay off everything, but money's not the most important thing. You're supposed to love Jesus. Like, well, what is it? Yeah, right. Right. Because God himself says you can either serve him or money. Yeah, well, and then there's the poor guy that comes to Jesus and says, hey, look, you know, I've done all these wonderful things. What else do I have to do? And Jesus says, great, give away all your stuff, right? Sell right. all your stuff and come follow me. And the guy's like, oh. you, you know what's interesting about that particular passage? Yeah. Is when he lists all the commandments, the only commandment he doesn't list off is the idea of like, loving his neighbor as himself. Mm -hmm. So, so oh, sure. Jesus is saying, so the one thing that I, I've done everything except actually give. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So, so there's, there's Jesus just telling them, look, in your, in your idea of what religion is, I'm going to give you the one thing you decided not to do. Right. And you're like, well, I'm willing to do everything but that. Yeah. 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 Right. So like, yeah. and that's most people's, that's most people with religion. I'm willing to go to church on Sunday. I'm willing to give 10% of my income. I'm willing to do, a, but you know what I'm not willing to do? Forgive. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not willing to do this other part that just sounds really hard. Right. So whatever you know, the like, personal issue is with it. Right. 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 Whatever their individual personal issue is, they're not going to do. Yeah, and so yeah. Jesus was just put, it was really more of a story of hypocrisy than it was an idea of, um, you need you to know, be penniless yeah, to follow me. Right. Right. My guess is that guy probably gave a lot of charity. He seemed I would like hope a really so. guy. Yeah. Yeah. I would hope so. But he so. wasn't willing to give up everything. Right. Right. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, you still consider yourself Christian. Oh, very much so. Yeah. So how has your uh, belief, I mean, for you, who is God? That's a great question. Uh, God is the uh, alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and the end. Um, God is the standard of what is right and wrong. Uh, therefore, nothing is right or wrong unless God said it. Um, mm. there, there, are, there are things that I believe that are very controversial to a secular world. For instance, uh, murder is only wrong because God said it. Because uh, the truth is, uh, people murder all the time. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, the Old Testament, That's, God commanded for murder repeatedly. Well, right? yeah, most of those are pedophiles. I don't think we, have, <laughs> we should really have a problem with that. Um, most people, listen, here's yeah. the greatest thing about historical context and the Bible. Most people don't understand the, the historical context of every group of people the Israelites faced. Right. They were... They were they were widow burning, child molesting, <laughs> terrible groups of people. Like the I mean, Bible how dare you speak that. of the Canaanites this way? The Canaanites were not good people. <laughs> now, now people. I have a grandfather who was a Canaanite. You take I that have. back. So people yeah. always say, "Why? Why don't they mention that?" I don't know. In the history books, they don't mention how North Korea kills everybody. Okay. Yeah. Like, well, and I mean, when you're winning, right? You don't need to. You don't always think, "Well, I need to vilify the loser." Right. You're just we so, won. 
so 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 I believe that God is the standard bearer of all things righteous. Uh-huh. I believe that God knew that the only way for man to connect with him was for some type of sacrifice in which he sacrifices himself through his son, uh-huh. through the cross. Um, as Paul says, that basically the wrath of God was sacrificed at the cross so that we would not be the recipients of the wrath of God. Uh-huh. Uh, so I believe all of that. I believe that God is spirit. I believe that God dwells in eternity. I don't know if he necessarily dwells specifically in what we call heaven, but I believe that he dwells uh, above time and space. Yeah. And that's why, that is why I truly do believe that when we're looking at the world and we're going, God, we have two days before the rents due. How come you're not helping us? Because at the end of the day, God doesn't dwell in our timelines. Right, right, right. Also, certainly he's aware of our timelines. Fully aware. And yet at yeah. the same time, God is also fully aware of the future that our, our tragedies will bring. Right. And therefore is not worried. Yeah, interesting. So for you, is God a, a person? No. Physical? No. No. Got it. God is spirit. He dwells, he has, he has taken in on incarnations as in, as in his son. Okay. So you, so you believe sort of the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, God, all the same. Yes, the Trinity. Yeah. I also believe that God has um, revealed himself in multiple ways. Mm-hmm. And one of those ways happens to be, while fully God, also fully man through Christ. Gotcha. And if you ask me, Paul, how do I explain that? I go, well, I can't. I'm not God. <laughs> sure. That is the, Fair enough. That is the element of faith. Yeah. Yeah. In which I go. See, faith is not just the understanding of, thing, of, of the lack of not, uh, facts. Faith is also in the belief in the lack of understanding all the components of things. Mm. So, for instance, I can have faith in you coming to my show on time even though I'm not aware of, is your car working? Right. Are, is your wife going to be okay with this? Are your kids sick? I just know that if I book Seth Lawrence for a comedy show, he's going to show up. Right. And I also know that if you have a lot of conflicting things in your life, you're still going to find a way to make it work. Right. Yeah. So, so the same thing goes with God. I can't completely understand what God is going to do and how God's going to make things work. But what I do know is since he knows the end, which is a whole complex idea, which I think yeah. takes away complete libertarian free will. So you don't believe in, in free will? I don't believe in, I don't believe in the, I, I don't believe that people actually have complete and utter free will. Uh-huh. And let me explain this. Yeah. So first off, for instance, um, if I go to a, a Carl's Jr., can I order a Big Mac? Right, no. I mean, you could, but you wouldn't get it, right? Right. <clears throat> that's yeah. kind of how the conceptual idea of God is. I can say to myself, gee, you know, I really want to marry uh, Marla. But you know what? Marla has to want to marry me too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay? So. Yeah. So, so my free will is still limited to sure. everything else in the universe. Well, yeah, but I mean, I don't think that that's really what people are talking about when they talk about free will. It's not the ability to like force others to do what you want. 
oh, I disagree. I think that's what free will they, people think they have. Oh, interesting. I've always just interpreted it as the ability to choose given certain parameters. Right, but I can't choose to marry Marla. She doesn't you want to can. marry me. You can choose well, to do that, but it might not happen. Right, right. So, so, so but, but I have a choice and it's been denied to me. Yeah, well, the outcome has been denied. Right, that's my point. Is yeah, that yeah, yeah. I think a lot of times, like, so for instance, yes, I can ask Marla out. She still won't marry me. I can jump off a building. I still won't fly. Right, right. But that... And so a lot of times what happens yeah. is... I, 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 I see you... That. Maybe we're arguing about sort of the same thing, but it's semantics that's getting in the way. I look right. at that not necessarily as choice, but as outcome, consequence. You can't choose right. that. Right. But you can, you can make I, the initial choice. Right, but I think most people think that their outcomes are their free will, not their decisions. Uh, okay. Yeah, 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 I see what you're saying. And I look at that as not a religious problem at all. I look right. at that right, as right, more right. a generational problem. But I also believe this, that if God knows the end from the beginning, and that's mm-hmm. a conceptual view within Scripture, then if God knows the end, that means the end's already happened. Right. Right. So, but, but not for so, you, it hasn't. Not for me, yeah. but, but in some type of conceptual idea of time, yeah. whatever Paul Moomjian is supposed to do is going to happen. So let me give you the best example yeah, of yeah, that. Yeah. No, oh, I see jo- what you're saying. Yeah. Jonah in the Bible, he wants to run away. The giant whale swallows him whole. Right. And then he gets spit out right. on the land, and he still has to go back. Yeah. So. Jonah can run from his problem as much as he wants. God will still drag him to wherever he wants to go. Jonah had actual free will concerning that particular group of people. Yeah. Right? So so in in, in telling them that God's going to destroy them. Yeah. So so my point is, is that I don't believe that we necessarily have the free will to determine our own outcome. Mm-hmm. which actually is very freeing, which means I can do as much as I want to do. I can work as hard as I want to work. And it's actually not my fault if I'm not successful. Ah, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Because, yeah. because think about At how some many point, people, right. But think about this. Think about how many people stumbled into accidental success. I mean, we just talked about your story. whole bunch of stumblings yeah. into success. Oh, I've lived a Forrest Gump life. It's completely yeah. accidental. I've had... Yeah. I, there were so many parts of my life that I had no absolute control over. And people said, hey, you want to go make uh, $100,000 a year working at Nickelodeon? Sure. Yeah, of course I do. Let's go do that. <laughs> hey, Paul, um, just go do comedy. In six months, you'll be opening for uh, Tom Segura. Isn't yeah. that happening to everyone? Right, right. But I mean, at the same time, at the same time, while it may be sort of some stumblings for you, there clearly was initiative on your side. It's not. It's not just... You know, you were the only one in the room to say, hey, yeah, I'll drive, Dan. Why not? Oh, yes. But but, but have you ever seen the movie um, uh, Stranger Than Fiction with Will Ferrell? Yeah. Remember the scene where he says, I'm just going to stay at home and do nothing? And then a giant bulldozer comes in, knocks his house down, and he has to go live with someone else? Yep. There's no greater film for me about what the idea of free will is in that film. <laughs> Yeah, fair I am enough. Convinced, I am literally convinced that if I would have sat in my room and did nothing, yeah. something would have happened that pushed me into becoming Dan Schneider's assistant. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, perhaps okay. so. 
perhaps so. And, and here's the thing, that's a very anti-American view. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That might be the most anti-American view. Well, what about the view of multiple, sort of multiple uh, versions of yourself out there living all at the same time? I do not believe in the Spider-Verse. Okay, fair enough. We'll leave it, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> Don't believe in that. Now, what I will say is this. I do believe it's very possible that there are other universes, communities, groups of people. I, the idea that God said, look, humans, that's the best I can do. No. Yeah, and these are the only ones. Yeah, no. I, yeah. I truly believe that when we get up to heaven one day, yeah. uh, you look up there, and here's what's going to happen. We're going to be like, what are you? And you're gonna, they're going to be like, I'm a Kleptonian. Uh-huh. <laughs> and you're going to be like, what did the Kleptonians do? And they're like, we were six-foot penis people who, you know, did this. And you're going to be like, wow, that's way cooler on Earth. We had, Amazing. We had the coronavirus. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So you do believe in a heaven or no? Oh, com- completely. Yeah, yeah, I have to. I have so, to believe in it. So what does the afterlife look like for Paul Moonjean? Paul Douglas uh, Moonjean. What is your afterlife probably, vision? Probably a nightclub in West Hollywood. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. So here's the thing. Yeah. The, the afterlife, the way that I understand it is this. The new heaven and the new earth. Okay. Which is... There is, there's supposed to be a whole series of events that eventually eliminates the idea of evil in the world or in the universe. Yeah. Okay. So the book of Revelation, the idea that the Antichrist comes in and then there's a thousand year reign of this and a thousand year reign of that. And then eventually everything gets wiped out. Yeah. And Satan and all of his demons and everything gets cast in the lake of fire and there's nothing but purity at the end. Mm-hmm. And, and as John said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. My idea of what I think that means is that on some level, humanity lives in the state of Garden of Eden per- perfection. Okay. Okay. Because I, I yeah. have, listen, I actually do believe that my fat, short little body was not God's intention. <laughs> okay. All right. I don't, I, I believe that God in the, in an ideal world, right? If, 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 if Adam and Eve never eat of the fruit of yeah. the garden of good and evil, yeah. of the knowledge, if they yeah. never eat of that, Paul Moonjean today, if no one eats of it, is a six foot four uh, god. You know, <laughs> like, like, a, like a mini, like, a, like he looks basically like LeBron James, but white. Uh-huh. Oh, my gosh. But because well, then I why are you like this? Because of a fallen earth? Is that what you're saying? Yes. Okay. But essentially, a fallen earth produced everything from diabetes to overweightness to fat to, to Got it. Uh, how about this, to the repercussions of sin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And gluttony on some level is a sin. Sure. Okay? Sure. And on some level, uh, there's that. Now, here's, yeah. here's what, what happens. I don't believe that people um, who are more deformed or this or that are more sinful. I'm just saying a fallen world produces right. imperfect species. Yeah. Yes. Um, so I believe that the afterlife that you and myself would be into our fully restored um, humanity. Yeah. Humanity on a level of God's perfection. Yeah. Yeah. Lim- limited and unlimited at the same time. Uh-huh. Okay. At the same time, God dwells in heaven. There's some connection there in which somehow the things we do on earth are, are there's, there's, tasks but it's not work it's okay. it's 
It's the ability to be able to accomplish and to um, fulfill potential on an, on an unlimited ability. Uh-huh. I don't know what that looks like because well, I still believe yeah. that in all the ways that we've made our life better with cars, technology, computers, we've also made ourselves worse. Yeah. And I do believe, yeah. and if you ask most people, if they look at a untouched jungle, an untouched forest, an untouched piece of nature, there's something about humanity that goes, wow, that's, that's perfect. Uh-huh. And, and I, I need to change it. Hope. That's really what humanity says. I need to get in there and I need to. Well, I think that the, the narcissist in us says, let's make it into condos. Yeah, right, right. right? Wouldn't it be awesome to put a pool right there? Right, but I think that if you ask a lot of people, hey, let's go look at this uncharted territory, they'll look at it and they'll go, wow, there's something about that that seems like that's how we're supposed to live. Yeah. Hmm. And so therefore, I do believe that somehow there is a level of that in the afterlife in which yeah. we are living as we were supposed to. Yeah. And, and I also believe we have the ability to be able to communicate and to um, connect with one another, another that is beyond the iPhone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Because all of man is trying to connect and reconnect with each other and ourselves. Right. right. That's what we're kind of trying to do. Yeah, yeah. And so, and so to imagine that at its perfect level, its, it's most God-fearing level, that is the new earth. And the new hmm. heaven is just in which a way in which God's dwelling place is now connected to the natural on some level that is now a pristine perfection of whatever humanity was supposed to be hmm. that i believe the afterlife is gotcha all right i like that i like that a lot well uh we're, we're coming up on the end here uh and i want to give you a chance since i've been grilling you on your uh religious thoughts to ask me what's the deal with mormonism so anything that you've you've heard or or know about or are upset by or confused by or enjoy about mormonism i encourage you to fire away you have to understand this is the guy who went to a single ward on recruitment day oh did you yes one of my wow. former wrestlers one of my, former, wrestlers, one of my former wrestlers yeah he calls me up he's like 25 26 yeah he says hey he goes he goes we have to bring someone you're the only one i trust yeah. And I go, what do you mean? He goes, everyone else is just going to be freaked out or weirded out by it. Yeah. I said, of course I'll go. Seth, if I was not a religious person, I would have joined the Mormon church that day. Those women <laughs> were amazing. Those women, yeah. there were three of them. I would have married them that day. And, you know, maybe in the near future you could. All three. And, and, well, not at 38. I'd be asked to leave the singles ward at this point. Well, yes. I, yes. I know this because the day that I went was the last day for some guy sitting in the corner crying because he realizes he has to go back. Yeah, to the family ward. Yeah, because yeah. he never met a wife. I mean, he was a very awkward person, but you know what I mean? Like, like yeah. that was, but listen, I actually like the idea. There's, there are things that, that the Mormons do so much better in, within the realm of organized religion. Uh-huh. Right? So, so evangelical Christianity, Catholicism, there's still an organization aspect to it. Yeah, of course. Right? The problem is, is that youth group, uh, or I'm sorry, a young, uh, a young adult ministries to, yeah. or, or college groups, they were meeting on Friday night. Yeah. I don't want to go there 
Friday night. Only the losers were there on Friday night. Right, of course, because they weren't dating. Right, whereas yeah. the foreman, they met at Sunday. They just put everybody <laughs> in the Sunday service. That was yeah. genius. Yeah. Um, the, the, the fact that you have to, like, go visit the world or v- at sure. least, you know, visit it. Yes, visit the world for a couple of years before you get married. That's, yeah. that's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Right? Um, the, the, the idea that um, uh, you have ideas like family night on Mondays, correct? Yeah, yeah. Like, now like, it's sort of any night, but encouraged right. month. Yeah. But there were, listen, I've studied all these religions. I understand a lot of them. Yeah. And what I'll say is there are organizational structures within that that evangelical Christianity totally would benefit from. Uh-huh. Right? Have your singles ministry on Sunday when everyone's already showing up to begin with. Right. Right. Uh, 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 like, like, like you trust that pastor to teach on Friday. You don't trust them to teach on Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, so, so what, why don't these churches do it? Is it that they want to facilitate, like in their minds, do you think they're thinking, well, if we get them all together on Friday, they'll just date each other and marry each other. And then we don't have to worry about it. Right. No, no, it's because they're stupid. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> no, really. Like, look, the, the, the owner of the Utah Jazz was a Mormon. Yeah. There's not one single evangelical leader within the NBA. Oh, uh, okay. Okay. All right. The more, Fair the enough. Better well, people they are focusing the- on God. Okay, Paul? Yeah, right. That's what, you know, they're focusing on writing stupid books. Okay. <laughs> That's what they're focused on. Every evangelical pastor in the country wants to write a book so he can go teach a crosstalk yeah. 2020. Yeah. Okay. Usually on like and, couples, right? It's on marriage. Right. Yeah. Or, or why other religions are wrong. Right. Right. right? Two favorite so, topics. Yeah. That's their favorite topic. Why everyone else is wrong but me by John MacArthur. <laughs> so, so here's the thing. Yeah. I would suggest that. I'd say, listen, why don't we get everybody on Sunday together? That's the day we go to church is Sunday. Put all of us in the room on Sunday together. They looked at yeah. me, oh, we have to be with the main pastor. Why? I sit by myself on Sunday. Yeah. Let all the people who sit by themselves not have to sit by themselves. Right. Let them. And then they looked at me like I was retarded. And I'm like, stop it. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's all. Listen. Evangelical Christianity is essentially a byproduct now of the Republican Party. Yeah. So therefore, therefore, uh, any system or group or organization that also is running itself within the same framework of the most stupid party in America, which, by the way, by the way, Dennis Prager, who's one of the leading Republicans in the world, says there's two parties in the world, the dangerous party and the stupid party. Because yeah. I'm a member of the stupid party. Yeah. Okay. So even even top George Will, Dennis, they know the Republicans are stupid. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So therefore, a stupid party that influences religion is going to produce stupid results. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, fair enough. Okay? That's all. And so I don't blame them for that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, they they want to have Bible studies on work nights. I don't get that. Right. Okay. They're then shocked. How come no one's going on Wednesday night? I don't know. They just worked 14 hours. <laughs> and they got to get up at 6 a.m. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, to, I remember during the massive unemployment of 2008, there were three groups of people, three groups of people that hung out of Panera Bread all day long. Yeah. One, 
college kids, two, the unemployed, three pastors. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So three groups of people. I was part of the unemployed group. The pastor sat at Panera Bread all day, drinking coffee, talking about things, waiting for Sunday to finally hit. Oh, My man. point is, is that evangelical Christianity is not intelligent enough to be able to do things at a high enough level to produce the results they want. Interesting. The Mormons, the Mormons have a much better understanding of human nature mm -hmm. and therefore produce a much higher rate of marriage, family, and children. Yeah. They also produce a higher rate of employment. They produce a higher rate of everything because the Mormon church, which is a fraction, you know, obviously an offshoot of, of traditional Christianity, right. just as Catholicism, everything else, you know, these off branches of different groups. The Mormon church, more than any other group, completely understands human nature. Hmm. And they know that if you don't tell people, you know, Mondays or at least one night a week, you should probably have family night. Yeah. People won't do it. Right. 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 If, yeah. if you don't, if you don't kind of set boundaries and expectations and understanding within a reasonable context, you're just yeah. not going to produce the results you want. Yeah. Hey, we want all the single people to get married. What should we do? Let's put all the single people together on Sunday. Maybe they'll talk to each other. Yeah, maybe. Maybe so. Like, let me ask you a question, Seth. If if you liked a girl, did you did you meet your wife at a singles ward by any chance? No. No, no but okay. I went to the largest singles ward in the world, which was Brigham Young University. Okay. And that's but, where we but, met. But here's okay, so okay, okay. So so you did meet within the Mormon church con concept yeah. on Sunday. Oh level. yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay. So here's, here's my life. I like a girl named Becky at church. Do you want to know okay. how I have to go ask her out in front of her dad? Because there's no time for us to be by ourselves because yeah. everybody joined with their family on Sundays. Yeah, well, So I, mean, if I like Becky. Yeah. I now have to find a way to tell Becky, hey, hey, Becky, oh, you should come to my car and see my, my new CD player. Like, what? Yeah. Like, but had Becky and I had an actual Sunday afternoon where we could have been together, I could have said, hey, Becky, after church, you want to go get in and out? And then she would have been like, I'm a good Christian. Yes, we will go get in and out. <laughs> yeah. As, or Chick-fil-A. But you got to pick no, one of those two. Chick-fil-A is closed on Sundays. Oh, right. Because they're better Christians. They're better Christians. <laughs> but I could have taken her yeah. to in and out yeah. and then we would have been married in six months. There you go, man. Instead, instead, I have to stand there and try to not ask her out in front of her dad. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, that Paul that's married to Becky's out there somewhere, I'm sure, Paul. I'm sure there is. Uh, now, but as you know, and, and then here's the fun thing. This, for the people who have no idea who either one of us are, maybe they know you, where do you think I've met most of the women I've been dating? Comedy shows. No. In your class. No. Oh. You know this, the restaurant? Uh, the restaurant at, at uh, Mimi's? No, Hooters. Oh, Hooters. Oh, of course, where you were hosting the trivia nights for years. Yes. Of course. Man, that's amazing. So that's my life. So that's my, <laughs> my evangelical journey. Maybe, you know what I would love to do? I would what? love to do like an oral history of my evangelical journey, which ends with me hosting the uh, Hooters Bikini pageant and <laughs> trivia night. Yeah. Giving away for amazing. years. That, that would be, be yeah. You should do that. You should do that at some point. The oral history of my evangelical thing. But here's the thing, too. I, when I And I will completely argue this, and I, and I say this straight face. 
if you put me up against any theologian in the country on a particular topic that we disagree on, I could, I would literally destroy them in a debate. Yeah. I've, no one has done more study of every major theological issue in the world than me from every particular angle. It's all I did that movies. And yeah. the thing is, the reason is because I'm not married. <laughs> I've never had to make a woman happy. Yeah. So you <laughs> okay? just have time. I have all this time. So, so, and, and here's how I know I would destroy every single theologian in a debate in which I disagree with them. Uh-huh. My buddy who has five degrees from Biola, including a, a, a PhD in New Testament studies has told me, he goes, I, he goes, he would pay to have me in a debate with anyone because they live in a bubble and I don't. Mm, right. So I kind of like, that's kind of like my goal on some levels to see how in the world I could get like John MacArthur and I to debate on anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. John MacArthur's this big pompous ass of a pastor out in the uh, Santa Clarita area. Oh, and, gotcha. Yeah. And yeah. I would just love more than anything you should debate him. Because what's been fun is every time I debate someone on an issue, which what I found was I'm the only one that actually used the Bible. Oh, yeah, right. Everybody well, you know else what you should do is reach out to uh, David Smalley. Do you know who he is? Wait, why is that sound so... Oh, the atheist. The atheist, yeah. I, I have no reason to debate atheists. That's a completely different thing. Oh, okay. Well, fair enough. But no, 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 no. Because it is. That's it is important a point, thing. right? Like, if you... It's, it's kind of like baseball versus soccer. Like, if you keep yelling, don't use a bat... Mm. Right? And, and it's, it's, it's like, if you're a soccer player, like, why are you using a big wooden stick? That's ridiculous. Yeah. Well, yes, that's ridiculous if the only game you understand is soccer. Right. But right. If in baseball, that makes sense. Right. So, so atheists and Christian are just playing on two very different fields. Yeah, yeah. It's just a completely I, different worldview, right? Right. Yeah. I completely understand atheism. Yeah. Atheism makes, well, hedonism makes perfect sense. Atheism makes some sense. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. like, like, I've never seen God. Okay, done. I yeah. get it. Yeah. Right? But Brian Kylie has a great joke for that, which is, I've never actually seen a worker from Home Depot. <laughs> yeah, but they must be there. They must be there, right? Yeah. So, so but, but, but here's the thing with Smalley, and I, Smalley has done some shows for me at uh, JR's Comedy Club. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and the thing is, is that uh, we just, there was never an opportunity to bring him back. So, me, me having him on his spot, I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. Ah, uh, well. But, but I will say Maybe this, someday. If I, if I wanna, I'm, I'm not going to convince an atheist to believe in God. What I might be able to do is convince other people that the atheist might not have a full argument. Right, right. And I think that's the best you could do ever, right? Have you debated any atheists on the show? Uh, I mean, my show isn't about necessarily debating people. Because, you know, I'm not, like, I'm not coming at you for what you believe that's different from what I believe. I'm, right. my show, this is more about letting people express what they believe and, uh, and delving into it. Not to prove right or wrong, just, just for the information and for the journey, for the understanding. So right. I've had atheists on, absolutely. And I've talked to them about it. And, uh, you know, we we agree on some aspects of humanity and then disagree fundamentally, obviously, on, on the religious side of things. But but am I the first person to ever, when you said, what's the question about Mormonism? And I go, no, you're, you're doing things better than us. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, most people are just like, well, yeah, what's the underwear about? What is, uh, what is the mission about? 
uh, you know, where you go off for two years. Oh, the mission, the mission. Anyone who ever trashes the mission in evangelical groups, I go, no, I'm sorry. We missed a huge opportunity. Right. There. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, let me, t- let me tell you a funny That's story. Funny. You'll love- You're going to love this. Yeah. Two Mormons come to my parents' house when I'm living with them, living with them for one year to pay off my student loans. Okay. Oh, sure. And these two 19-year-olds, I'm probably 36 at the time, 37. Uh-huh. So they knock on the door. I open yeah. it up. It's two, Christ- it's two Mormon boys. It's raining outside. Yeah. They ask, can we mow your lawn? <laughs> like right now? <laughs> I, I, said, I, said, I, said, I said, boys, I said, I know you want to help. I said, tell you what, can I take you to lunch instead? How about yeah. two days? They said, okay. So I meet them at the Panera Bread around the corner, right? They, yeah. they only have an hour, hour and a half because they're on a schedule of things to do, right? Okay. Yeah. I asked them at the end of the lunch, we just talk and talk and talk and whatever. And I said, can I ask you a question? Can you guess what religion I am? And they said, oh, you're like evangelical Christian. I go, how do you know that? They go, you're the only group of people that would ever just take us to lunch and not, you know, crap on us. (laughs) Yeah. Right? Uh, Yeah. And I almost cried. And then we hugged each other. And then they walked away. And then they moved off to like Costa Rica or something, right? Right. They they actually sent me an email saying that I was by far the nicest person that they had that didn't convert. Yeah. Oh, that's very nice. But but like the wrestler who brought me, the wrestling coach who brought me to the singles ward. Yeah. He was one of the top baptizers in his Texas mission. Like, Like his numbers and his tracking and all this stuff. Uh, I always joke with them. I go, if they don't make you one of the 12 apostles, you really need to get out. Okay. <laughs> like you're, you're the best. Yeah. So my relationship with the Mormon church has been very positive. Yeah. And it doesn't mean I agree, but I also don't agree with everything that every Christian group believes anyways. Yeah, of course not. Right. So, so the question becomes, do you believe that Jesus went to the cross and died? Yes. Do you believe yeah. he resurrected? Yes. Okay then everything else, more or less to me, is going to be a second issue. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. So, the converse, so once we both established that Jesus Christ went to the cross and died for sins, after that, then every other conversation is, well, well who was a better dynasty, the, the, uh, the Houston Rockets or the Detroit Pistons? Right. That's literally, to me, the way it works. Like, well, both went back-to-back champions. Yeah. Okay. Both, but, because that's how it works for me. Because here's what I know. I can believe all the things that I believe. And when I get to heaven, I'm going to find out how wrong I was. Right. And everyone's going to have that experience, right? But here's what I know. I was right about one thing. And because I was right about the one thing. Yeah. I'm okay with the big guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I was wrong about everything else. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm okay with that. Because the movie that best... The movie that best explained that to me was City Slickers. Mm. Because when Billy Crystal was like, what's the secret to life? And Jack Palance puts up his finger and goes, one. And he goes, what, your finger? He goes, no, the one thing. You just got to find out what it is. You go, okay, it's Christ's resurrection. After that, everything else means nothing. Right, right. So once, we, once we're both on that same page... Okay, so, so, so you believe that maybe the afterlife involves some type of eternal family. I don't. So what? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I totally so agree. What? Yeah. 
I believe that the afterlife does this. Oh, you believe you can't have uh, certain, you know, some, some Mormons believe they can't have some types of caffeine. Right. Well, you know what? So, so do people on Atkins. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so, so what am I going to say? All the people on Atkins are going to hell too because they don't believe in <laughs> elements of caffeine? Well, like, they will, but not things. for that. <laughs> It'll be for other things they've done, right. obviously. The atheist Atkins. Those are the ones. That's the but one. But here's another that's... argument I made too. Here's another argument I made too. Which whenever yeah. I debate an atheist, I always say you wouldn't like heaven to begin with because you don't like the idea of God. Right. So 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 here's what here's how much God loves you. He's gonna let you be completely separated him for eternity. <laughs> so you get what you want. You got exactly what you wanted. It's perfect. Like, like, God is not a spiritual rapist. Right. God does not force himself upon you. Yeah. 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 So, he lets you. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. so that's, so whenever I have a debate, this is why I don't debate atheists. They go, I don't believe in God. I go, okay, that's fine. Yeah. And they go, aren't you supposed to convert me? I go, well, would you like me to? <laughs> yeah. And they go, well, no. no. And I, I go, mean, I want you I to try. Because Jesus said do unto others as you would have others do unto you. Yeah. Well, I don't want some atheist spending the rest of his life converting me to atheism. Right. So right. I'm not going to spend the rest of my life. But if, but if my atheist friend has a question, they know they can ask it anytime they want. Yeah. Yeah. And they know that I would love more than anything to have that conversation with them. Right. 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 So that that's how this works. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And this is why this is why I don't have my own church because you would have no followers in this church. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's it's loosey goosey. I love it. Yeah, like, could you imagine my church? Are we supposed to hate the gays? No, we're supposed to love them. Well, I'm leaving then. <laughs> I mean, there are a lot of people that would think that. What, but... what are we supposed to do with the Muslims? Love them too. Oh, screw you, buddy. <laughs> I mean, they're not reading their New Testament. I don't know. So that that's that's what it's come down for me. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I appreciate that, and I think there's a lot of truth to that. Absolutely. Yes. Beyond and beyond the atonement, there's really uh, fluff. You know. Yes. There, there. I I do believe, and here's the thing that I do believe that God has called us to be holy. Mm-hmm. God has called us to be kind and decent and loving and charitable, and we all know that on some level. Yeah. We just don't always know how to apply it. Yeah. And and so for instance, like during this pandemic, um, a lot of people have asked me for money and I've been lucky enough to be able to give it to them because, you know, you know nothing huge, hundred dollars here, hundred dollars there. Sure. But it but it is the idea that when like one of my favorite stories is the story of the uh the Pharisee and the poor woman, and the poor woman gives a couple of shackles into the offering plate and, and yeah. the Pharisee gives everything, you know, gives a whole bunch of money. But right. but Jesus says uh, she gave out of her poverty. He gave out of his wealth. Who do you think is going to be more blessed? Yeah. And the disciples were like, oh, wow, this is crazy because the guy gave more, but he gave out of his surplus. And so what I realized is let's give out of our, of our own sacrifice. Yeah. And what I found was is I have never wanted in my entire life as long as I give charitably and lovingly and kindly to people. And I find that that is a biblical principle that has done me very well. Yeah. Well, there's no better way to end than on that. 
Thank you Great. so much, Paul. Uh, anything Thank you want to plug or uh, uh, the, promote? Well when, gonna, well, when are you going to air this? Uh, I have a couple episodes I need to finish editing and put out this week. So it'll come out next Sunday is the plan. Okay. Not Mother's so, Day Sunday, not this Sunday, but the following. So uh, May 23rd then, May 23rd, which is a Saturday, I'll be having a virtual show through uh, Flappers that you're going to be on. Hey, beautiful. I'm so excited. I yeah, I'm hosting Eddie Pepitone this week, but that'll be too late by then. Yeah. So the 23rd, uh, Seth and I. 23rd. 23rd, I'm sending out everything tomorrow to you guys and a few other people. Oh, cool. And uh, we'll try to get Bill Burr and Joe Rogan, but if they say no, we'll get others. Yeah, that'll be fun. <laughs> that'll be great. All right, awesome. Thank you. Thanks so much, Paul. Have a wonderful night, and uh, best of luck with the rest of COVID quarantine. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Paul.